0: I was somewhat blown away Friday as I was driving to the cemetery to place flowers at Jesse's grave site. Three years ago, Jesse was taken home to be with the Lord. And so, as I was remembering Jesse and driving to the cemetery, with Flowers to place there at her gravesite, I was amazed. It may strike you as simply coincidental or not that eventful, but for me, it kind of touched me deeply. As I was driving into the cemetery and through the gates, right then it was 12 noon, and my radio was on in my car. And the dial was set where it always should be, (laughs) AM 1300, K-A-P-L. And Chuck Smith came on right then as I was driving in with the word for today. And the reason that I was blown away is because as I was passing through the gates and driving in and hearing Chuck come on the air, I was amazed when he presented his text for the sermon that day. He asked the people to turn to Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. And to me, that was remarkable. I thought, what are the statistical probabilities? What are the odds that I would be pulling into the cemetery, remembering Jesse's third-year anniversary being taken to heaven, and that verse coming on the air? even as I'm driving into the cemetery? What is the statistical probability of that happening? Many of you may not know, but that verse is extremely important to me personally. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to an expected or a glorious end. That verse first came alive to me in a most interesting way. In 1982, my first wife, Terry, and I were driving to Mount Bachelor to go skiing when our car hit some ice and spun around and wrapped around a tree. The next thing I knew, I was in the ambulance being taken down to Rogue Valley Hospital. And as I came to, I looked at the attendant there in the ambulance. And I said, how is my wife? And he said, she's fine. And I said, no, she's not. And I said, yes, she is. And I said, she's in heaven. And that attendant looked at me and studied me carefully. And chose right then, as he made a decision to tell me the truth, he said, You're right, she's no longer with us. And right then, as I began to fade away a bit, the Lord spoke to my heart. I heard the word of the Lord. Now, if you've been here very long, you know that I don't say those things lightly. I'm not one that believes that people should go around and say, God told me. I believe those things need to be said most judiciously and cautiously. I'm not one that takes that phrase lightly. But God spoke to me. As I was in that ambulance, a voice was heard, and it seemed to me to be almost audible, I'm sure it wasn't, but it was so powerful and so real to me that it seemed to be audible. And the word was, I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to a glorious end. I didn't even know that I knew that verse. You see, right now, in these days, that verse is well known. You see it on plaques. It's enjoyed a a wonderful exposure in the Christian community. But at that time, in 1982, that was a verse that I didn't even know that I knew. I never taught on it. I never thought much about it. Oh, I'm sure that I read it before. But it wasn't in my memory, per se. It wasn't something which I was familiar with. But that day in the ambulance, I heard the Lord. And that was the word he gave to me. The next thing I knew, I was in the hospital talking to some people, and the phone rang. And it was my pastor, Chuck Smith, from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And Chuck got on the phone and said to me, John, I've got to share something with you. He said, the Lord would have you know, I know the thoughts I speak towards you or think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to bring you to a glorious end. That's the word of the Lord for you. And I said, Chuck, that's amazing. I said, I was just telling somebody that that was the very word that I heard in the ambulance just an hour ago. Again, you may say it's coincidental. I don't think so. So that verse was very important to me. That scripture had a huge impact upon me. God said, I know the thoughts I think, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to a glorious end. I didn't share that with a whole lot of people. I didn't share that with my kids as they were younger, and I just didn't go into that part of the story. I shared it with some people that were very close to me, including my good friend Rick Vesney. He knew the story. He knew the story of that verse and how important it was to me. So, three years ago, on November 15th, as I was sitting in the back corner right there, morning worship was happening. And Rick was up in front, and I was sitting there, and the back doors opened, and my daughter Jessie came in. And she sat right about there. And she drove to morning worship, as she would often do, to worship the Lord before she went to school. And she was there worshiping, and I was sitting back watching. And then Rick, as he often does, opened it up for a time of prayer. My daughter Jessica stood up, and she said that day, Lord, I thank you for the promises of your word. And she said, I especially thank you for the promise. I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to a glorious end. And I tell you, that just grabbed my heart. Because Jessie didn't know how important that verse was to me. She didn't know the story I just told you. But she prayed that prayer, and that was it. She then walked out, she had to get to school. She walked by me with a wink and a smile and a thumbs up. Rick caught the significance of that moment as God has given him that kind of sensitivity. And Rick right then wrote a song which is on the radio, a song that is precious to me, Jeremiah 29 11. And so he's playing that song, writing that song on the spot. My daughter just prayed that prayer. And she went out the doors, and not too many minutes later, I was tapped on the shoulder and told there was an accident, and my daughter Jessica was ushered into heaven. The last words I heard from the lips of my daughter Jess was Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Interesting, isn't it? You may say coincidental, I say. I don't have that much faith to believe in coincidence in that way. I know the Lord was orchestrating that all, to speak to my heart, to let me know, hey, the thoughts that he thinks towards me and towards you and all of us, you see, are thoughts of peace and not of evil to bring us to a glorious end. And so, when I pulled into the cemetery on Friday, And as I was just getting in the gates and I heard Pastor Chuck say, please turn to Jeremiah 29 11 and give a teaching on that verse, I thought, isn't this interesting? I mean, how could this be as he's traveling through the Old Testament? Just so happened on that very day at that very moment. That verse was once again right in front of me. Now. I sat there at the gravesite and pondered these things, and I couldn't help but find myself saying, Lord, you are incredibly good. How good you are. You speak to our hearts. You're there in our needs. You're a very present help in time of trouble and difficulty. You've seen us through so kindly and graciously, you've proven yourself over and over to me, to my family, to the Applegate congregation. You've just been awesome, Lord. And he has. And then the Lord took me in my own time there at the gravesite to this story that I want to share with you because it's important. It's the story of a man whose name means the light shall shine. That's what his name means, literally. The light shall shine. The light shall break through. But presently, he's in depression. He's in darkness. He's in a real grave situation because his 12-year-old daughter is about to die. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5, and let's pick up on the story. Jesus had been over at Decapolis on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Now he sailed back over the sea towards Capernaum. And he gets out of the boat that he's in, and people began to gather round about him. And behold, verse 22, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, "'My little daughter lieth at the point of death. "'I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her "'that she may be healed, and she shall live.'" And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. For 12 years, Jairus, it would seem, had it made in the shade. You see? He was the ruler of the synagogue. Now, in that day, that meant a lot. First of all, it would make him a spiritual leader. He would be comparable to a pastor, to an elder in our culture. But not only would he be a spiritual leader, he would be politically powerful, and he would be financially prosperous. This guy was spiritually looked up to, politically potent, financially well taken care of. And for 12 years, his house was filled with the laughter and the lightheartedness and the love that a daughter, that children can bring. Mom and dad, you know this to be so. You know the unique laughter and love and lightheartedness that kids can bring into the home. For 12 years, J. Iris, it would seem, had it made in the shade. Everything was hunky dory. And then, suddenly, in a moment, time, suddenly, unexpectedly, no doubt, his daughter came down with a sickness that would throw him off balance, that would send his head reeling. His daughter, his little daughter, his, his only daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, is now dying. How do I know that he was reeling? How do I know this affected him so radically? Because look what he did. He, he runs to where Jesus is, and he throws himself at the feet of this itinerant rabbi from Galilee, Jesus. He heard the stories about Jesus healing people. But you see, you got to understand that such a move would place Jairus in real jeopardy. He could lose his position as the ruler of the synagogue. He could be ostracized in his business. He could lose everything financially. He could be an outcast in the community. But it didn't matter because his daughter was dying. His daughter was dying. Mom and dads, you understand that. Nothing else matters at a time like that. And he runs and is ready to jeopardize position and power and prosperity and everything to see his daughter saved, to see his family kept intact. And he falls at his feet. Come with me. He begs, come with me to my house. My daughter is sick grievously. And Jesus says, okay, because our Lord never turns down anyone who's in need. When you read the word, you read the stories, you will see too that Jesus never turned his back on any person who came to him with a need. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go with you. And so they go. Jesus went with him, and much people followed, and the plot thickens. Verse 25, a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, and touched his garment, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I-, I shall be whole. Interesting. Here's Jairus. No doubt his eyes swollen with tears. No doubt in his heart there were certain fears. Come on, Jesus. There's no time to waste. Rabbi, come quickly, he would say plaintively. Come. My daughter is dying. I'm losing my family. Come. Come. And on the way, a woman, a woman, a woman who had been suffering hellishly for 12 years. See, while Jairus, for 12 years, had his daughter in the house. For 12 years, Jairus, everything was hunky-dory. For 12 years, everything was cool when, in a moment, everything changed radically. His world fell apart in a moment. Whereas at the same time, for those 12 years, J. Iris was powerful and prosperous and well thought of and things were going grandly, for this woman, for 12 years, she was bleeding continually. She was not prosperous financially. She was impoverished. She had spent every penny she had on doctors. Why? you got to understand the culture. For her to be bleeding in that way would make her impure ceremonially. That means she could not go to the temple and worship the Lord. That means her husband would divorce her. That means the community would ostracize her. That means she is a complete, total pariah in the community. You see, they looked at it in this way, that if a woman remained in an unclean state, that is hemorrhaging continually, she was a cursed person. So for 12 years, while Jairus is enjoying life with his daughter and his wife, this woman probably lost her family, certainly lost her money, and was hurting physically. She was in pain on every level. But in one moment, everything changes. For Jairus, in one moment, everything collapsed. For this woman, in one moment, everything is fixed. And I say this because there are two groups of people in here today. There are you that are in the Jairus category. Oh, be thankful things are going along quite swimmingly. Terrific. Business is working out. Family's doing okay. Everybody seems to be relatively healthy and relatively happy. Praise the Lord. He's been good to you. But you do not know what this afternoon holds. Your world... Could be completely turned upside down, topsy turvily, radically, in the next moment. Ask J. Iris. Ask Pastor John. You may be going through a time of relative ease. Oh, a few minor problems and a few challenges, but really you say, Blessed we've been, good for you. MAY GOD KEEP YOU IN THAT POSITION AS LONG AS POSSIBLE, BUT YOU GOTTA KNOW THAT THERE'S COMING A MOMENT WHEN EVERYTHING WILL BE CHANGED. IT'S ABSOLUTELY INEVITABLE. AND THEN, THEN YOU SEE WHAT YOU HAVE BEEN POURING INTO THE LORD, CULTIVATING IN YOUR WALK WITH THE LORD WILL COME INTO PLAY. Or then, when you needed to draw from him and be rooted and grounded in him, you'll find that it's just not there because for 12 years, you were just maybe cruising. After all, my business is going fine and my kids are growing up. No problems. See, this story is important because i understand that a moment makes a difference and it keeps me from complacency when i go through good easy seasons and we get to may that not be a time of kickbackedness complacency saying oh well Hey, we got the boat and we got the cabin and we can just be cruising now, you know. May it rather be a time of saying, Lord, you've been good to me and I know that a moment will soon be upon me, sooner or later, where I'm going to need to be rooted and grounded in you. And I will use these good years, this good season, to grow deeper in you, to be more committed to you, to learn all I can about you because I know that in a moment, everything can change. This story keeps me from complacency. This story also keeps me from insanity. What do you mean? Because there are times when I find as you do your heart hemorrhaging, your life bleeding, you find yourself just wiped out. And it might go on, not for 12 weeks, not for 12 months. It might go on for 12 years. And you go, Lord, how long? How long will I hemorrhage, Lord? How long will this go on, Lord? The business is a mess. It never takes off. The marriage isn't what it's supposed to be. The kids are rebelling, Lord. My health physically, whatever it is, Lord, it's just going on and on. Know this, Let this story keep you from insanity. In one moment, Jesus passes by, and the hemorrhaging stops, you see. In one moment, with a light touch of faith, the woman's whole life is changed. Previously ostracized and heartbroken, rejected and poor, now she is healed and goes down in history as an example for you and me. What a difference one moment can make, one moment. J. Iris. it shocked him. Everything seemed to be going so easily. The woman, it seemed to be hopeless when suddenly she's healed miraculously. Well, picture with me in your mind's eye. J. Iris, this is all fine and dandy. No doubt he would think that you're talking to this lady, that she's doing better. But but Lord, the time is ticking. The, the clock is moving. Lord, my daughter's dying. And I, I appreciate all this. He may have been thinking, but but Lord, this has slowed us down. My daughter is at the point of death. My 12-year-old daughter. Is that the point of death? Come on, Lord. Why do you think the Gospel writers tell us that she was 12? Why do you think the Gospel writers tell us that the woman hemorrhaged for 12 years? Because 12 is the number of government in the Scripture. And in both stories, God is saying, I am on the throne, I am in control. What seems to you to be a tragedy, what seems to you to be an impossible situation, whatever it might seem, I am on the throne. Twelve years, twelve years, I am governing the situation. Iris, even though you think this might be an interruption, it's all part of the program. Because you see, Iris, you're going to need to learn from this woman. I know it's a bother to you right now. The time is ticking. Your daughter's dying. But... Her faith is going to be an example for you because, in just a minute or two, J. Iris, you're going to need faith too. See, J. Iris would need the interruption, even though it would no doubt cause him to feel a great deal of frustration. He would need to see this woman to learn something about faith because experience is the best teacher, gang, but it doesn't need to be our experience. We can learn from the experience of another, and Jairus would learn, I believe, something from her. And you can learn from the experiences that I've had that I'm sharing with you right now. And I can learn from the experiences that you've had, the bleeding you've gone through. We learn from each other. Experience is the best teacher, but it doesn't have to be your experience. You can learn from me, and I can learn from you, and you can learn from each other. And most importantly, we can learn from the experiences of the characters in the scripture. I love the word. I'm a Bible lover because I can learn stuff. I can save myself a lot of heartbreak and heartache by learning through their experiences what I should avoid and what I should do. Jairus, this is for you. She had faith because, you see, as the story goes on, we read in the next sentence after she was made whole, right then... She was made whole. The plague went away. She was set free when she touched the hem of his garment. Oh, daughter, he said to her, verse 34, thy faith has made thee whole. Can I suggest to you that that word daughter must have thrilled her? See, she was unclean, disowned by friends and family. She wouldn't be accepted by MCI. No friends and family program for her. She was ostracized. She was unclean. She was a cursed lady. And here's Jesus. Here's Jesus who says words that she had probably not heard for an awful long time. Daughter. That must have thrilled her. Daughter. Your faith has made you whole. Why did Jesus use the word daughter? What's Jairus thinking? My daughter. That's right. My daughter, Jesus. This daughter's okay. Let's go on our way. My daughter, you see. I suggest to you Jesus was ingenious, as he always is. Not only comforting her daughter, daughter, but causing Jairus to wonder, to wonder, what's going on here? And as he spoke that beautiful word to her, verse 35, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Jairus, it took too long to get there. Your daughter is dead. It's over. It's done. Don't bother the master any further. Your daughter is gone. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to that ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Literally in the Greek, it's be not afraid, Keep on believing. Don't freak out, J. Iris. Don't panic. Don't get caught up in all the emotion. You just keep on believing, J. Iris. Listen, I know the report, but I'm sharing with you the word. You keep on believing. Don't start doubting. Be not afraid. And that day Jesus suffered no man to follow him except Peter and James and John. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. There was a tumult taking place. There was weeping, emoting, wailing the daughter of Jairus, was dead. And when he was come in, verse 39, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but she sleeps. Why all this emotion? Why all this weeping? Why all this ado? She's just sleeping. Interesting. You see, this idea of sleep and death would be linked together time and time again from this point on. Jesus said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. Of course, they would say, that's insanity. We saw the life leave her. Her corpse is as cold as ice. There's no pulse in her. But Jesus said she's sleeping, and this is the phrase the New Testament will use here, John chapter 11, Acts chapter 7, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and over and over in 1 Corinthians 15, where death is called sleep for the believer. When a believer moves on, the New Testament doesn't use the word death, but rather sleep. They're just resting. Their body is there just resting. But their person, their essence, the real Jesse, is in heaven. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And there's coming a day when those that are asleep, we are told, shall Arise, their body, but their person's already in heaven, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, and so we shall all be together in heaven forever and ever. But understand this. The scriptures say, why would you weep and make much ado? Why all the tumult? You see, She's not dead. Pastor John, she just sleeps. She's in heaven. And the body is just, if you would, sleeping. To be resurrected in due season. And here Jesus says, why all the weeping? Why all the tumult? She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And, verse 40, mark it with me, and they laughed him to scorn. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, man, get real. Wake up and smell the coffee. Rabbi, you might have some good things to say about spiritual stuff, but man, when it comes to medical analysis, you are way off the wall. She is as dead as a doornail. They mocked him. They laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the mother and the father of the damsel and them that were with him, Peter, James, and John, and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kumik, which is being interpreted damsel. I say to thee, Arise." And straightway the damsel arose and walked. She was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. I like that phrase, you betcha. And he, Jesus, verse 43, charged them straightly that no man should know it. Don't tell the people out there. Those that aren't here aren't going to understand. Those that aren't in this place, they're not going to get it. You see, don't even tell them that are out there. Straightway, he commanded them. If they're not here, they're not going to understand, so don't even bother to explain it to them. Inside, Mom and Dad and Peter, James, and John were astonished greatly. The little girl was alive. Truly. And then I love this. Jesus then commanded that something should be given her to eat. Give her a burger, would you? <laughs> Give her a quarter pounder. Supersize it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the Lord. Those people out there, they, they're not going to comprehend. But you that are in the situation with me, mom and dad and Peter, James, and John, you understand what's happening. And the little girl, her stomach's growling. Fix her something. You see... Until you've been there, you don't really get it. But once you're there, you'll be amazed by it. Until you've been there, you can't really get it. But once you've been there, you'll be blown away by it. Outside, they were still tumulting. Outside, they were still weeping. Outside, they were still wailing, but inside, Golden arches. They were eating. They weren't wailing. They were eating. How could this be? Because you know, you know what happens. Once you're in that time when, as you all either have been, maybe some of you are right now, all of you will be eventually when your whole world is flipped upside down and everything is suddenly shaken to the very core. I mean to the core. I'm not talking about a ding in your car or a bill that's overdue. I mean the event that shakes everything to the core. Your whole thing is totally topsy-turved. And when you were there, as many of you have been, or some of you are right now, and all of you will be before this life is over. That I guarantee. Suddenly, you go, it's amazing. There's weeping and wailing outside, but, Lord, there's, there's this feasting inside. John, is it always that way? let me share with you something that's very, very important. Before Jesus went in that day and said, Talitha Kumi, and suddenly in that home there was rejoicing. Before that happened, something else had to take place, and that is this. The mockers had to be put Out of the house. Before Jesus said, Talitha, Kumi, arise, and before there was great astonishment to those that were in that situation, before that could happen, there first had to be the removal of the mockery, the mockers. Now, When you get to that place, when we're in those times, the mockers will be there. Oh, I'm not talking about those that are outside saying, well, you're just not dealing with reality, or you must be in shock, or you're just, that might happen too, to a certain degree. But the mockers that I really have to watch out for that rear their ugly heads over and over and over again are the mockers in my own soul who show up from time to time, and they begin to mock, and they begin to say, yeah, sure. And they begin to laugh and scorn. And they begin to say in my own soul, they begin to say to me, well, where was God? And why didn't God? And how could God? And they begin to mock insidiously. Mockers come into my own heart, and they rise up. At that moment, when I deal with that, and I do, as well as you, and if you haven't, you will, so listen carefully. You might be sitting there right now saying, what is he talking about? You may have never had to deal with your life being turned upside down. You may have never heard the mockery of voices from your own soul laughing and scorning. I understand that if you've never been there. I understand that if you don't comprehend what I'm sharing. Just do this for me. Just get the tape, put it in a drawer somewhere, and when it happens, Pull out the tape and listen, and you'll understand in ways that maybe right now it seems a little obscure or a little fuzzy, because it will happen. And when it happens, and you who have been there or who are there know the mockers, they begin to show They begin to make a lot of noise, much tumult, much weeping, much wailing, and they're beginning to say, I I don't know if I believe this stuff, or I don't know if I really can figure it out, or I have real questions about, and they mock. And listen, here is the key. Whether it's when you're in the moment or three years later, whatever it might be, here is the key. It's singular, it's simple, and it's significant. You've got to move out the mockers before jesus went in and said talitha kumi, rise and there was celebration before that happened the mockers had to first be kicked out of the house and sent packing and i've got to do that sometimes i want the mockers to talk to me so i can go yeah poor me yeah. you're right I got a bum deal, Uh and I want to wallow in self-pity. And by the way, if you happen to overhear some mockery, then maybe you can feel sorry for me, too. All the better, mockers, mockers. Mocking the promises of God, mocking the presence of God, mocking the plan of God, mocking the power of God, mocking the goodness of God, mocking the promise that he knows the thoughts he thinks towards us, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring us to a glorious end. Mocking the promise that all things are working together for good to those that are called, and we are. Mocking, mocking, and sometimes I find myself, I'm embarrassed to say, I'm ashamed to admit, sometimes I'll listen to the mock wow and when I do if I do I will stay in a crippled condition for as long as I choose to listen to the voices of mockery they've got to go now now they've got to leave today I'm not going to listen to the tumultuous Weepings and wailings of others around me or the voices inside of me, I will not go there. I will not allow the mockers of the promises of God to speak in the house of my heart. Because no miracle happens then. It's just a bunch of self- pity that gets sicker and sadder as the days and weeks and years go on you kick out the mockers what does that mean john you move them out how do we do that you tell them to pack sand well, well, how does that happen you don't listen to them well, well, what does that mean i'll read to you a verse from jeremiah It's the same story of chapter 29 that I referred to earlier. God speaks to his people and says, Look, I know you're in captivity, and I know you think everything's a bummer, but I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to a glorious end. And then God goes on for the next couple of chapters to the prophet to say the promises that are coming, the blessings that will be abounding, what he's going to be doing, and then listen, please listen. I'll read it to you if you just want to listen, or you can turn there, Jeremiah 31, verse 15. In the same context, the Lord then says, Thus saith the Lord. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because because they are not Rachel weeping for her children refusing to be comforted because they are no more you a lot of you recognize that verse or have heard it before it comes up again in Matthew chapter 2 remember the story Jesus is born Herod is insanely jealous that there could be a new king of the jew so what does he do He sends his soldiers to go everywhere in the region and kill every male child two years old and younger. This really happened, folks. It's not a movie script. It's not a fairy tale. Think with me what happened there in that region. Soldiers unsheathing their swords and grabbing babies and two-year-old sons and butchering them. And the whole region is filled with weeping and wailing. Mothers seeing their babies ripped from their arms. Fathers being pushed aside as their young sons are taken away and sawn in half by a sword that day. Matthew chapter 2 fulfills this prophecy. Weeping and wailing because the kids, because the kids, because the kids, the children are not The blood is flowing. The moms and dads are screaming. The kids are dying. (coughs) There's weeping because her children are no more. And watch this. The next verse. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping. REFRAIN THINE EYES FROM TEARS. FOR THY WORK SHALL BE REWARDED, SAITH THE LORD, AND THEY SHALL COME AGAIN FROM THE LAND OF THE ENEMY. AND THERE IS HOPE IN THINE END, SAITH THE LORD, THAT THY CHILDREN SHALL COME AGAIN TO THEIR OWN COUNTRY. THE LORD SAYS, PLEASE REFRAIN FROM WEEPING. Please refrain from crying. I know that hearts are broken, that blood is flowing. I know. But the Lord says, I've also promised you that your children are going to come again. (coughs) Believe me. Listen to me. Move out the mockers, the weepers, and the wailers. Don't let it happen. Because the promise that I've given to you, the Lord would say in Jeremiah 31, is fabulous and glorious. And people, even though there's pain for a moment, you are most blessed, he would say to them that day, because there is a work in progress. Something fabulous is happening, and your children shall come again. It's not over. Why do you make this much ado? Why do you weep? She's not dead. She just sleeps. Refrain from weeping. Understand that your children will come again. Oh, it may be in my case, it may be, Jesse, it may be for you a, a, a marriage situation. It might be a, a physical problem that you're wrestling through year after year. It might be a business thing. You go, How, what's going on here? It's just dying. I've prayed about it. I've believed God for it, and it's just not working. Listen, refrain from that kind of mentality. Move out that mockery. That's a mockery against God. Whether it be for your teenager that's rebelling, or whether it be for your marriage that's hurting, you move out the mockers. Refrain from weeping, refrain from tearing, because the Lord says, just believe what I've told you. What has he told me? I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil to bring you to a glorious end. What has he told me? John, all things are working together for good to those that are the called according to his purpose. That's you. What did Jesus say to me? He said, John, let not your heart be troubled. Wait a minute, back up, rewind, You mean I have a choice whether to let my heart be troubled or to let not my heart be troubled? Yes. It's your choice. You mean I can choose to let my heart be troubled or I can choose to let not my heart be troubled? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, don't you, John? Yes, I do. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I I will come again and receive you unto myself that where where I am, pardon me, there you may be also. Refrain from weeping and let not your heart be troubled. Move out those mockers. Move them out. Don't let them speak any longer. Don't let them question, mock. But rather, Philippians 4 tells you and me, and I'll read it to you. But it's worth jotting down and reading later in the day if you're inclined to. Philippians 4 says this. Finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just and pure and lovely and of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Let not your heart be troubled. The mockers talk to me about gyps and unfairness and it's never going to work and why me and all this. And God says, rather, think only on the things that are pure and lovely and just and true and of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise. And finally, I close I leave the next verse with you. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Man, I know that part of God's plan in allowing me the privilege of going through things that I've gone through is so that I can say to you today, move out the mockers. It's going to be okay if you let it be. Or you can wallow and listen to the mockers endlessly and never have the burger and enjoy the warmth And the reality of those that were in the room that day, the outsiders, they just listened to mockers continually, but the insiders knew, Lord, you're doing something wonderful. That which you have heard and seen and know, do. Move out the mockers. Move them out before you get off these grounds today Get the mockers out of the way. Move them out. Say no more. I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to let people talk that way. I'm not going to give ear so that I can gain some kind of sympathy from somebody I'm gonna move out those mockers and I'm gonna be a man a woman a mom a young person a dad whoever who thinks on things that are lovely and just and true the murmurers go the criticism goes the gossip goes the innuendo goes the mockers go and I'm gonna say today Lord they're out of here I'm not gonna listen to that stuff in the soul of my own being anymore But rather, I'm going to choose to embrace what you, by your mercy and grace, have told me. Go into heaven. My children shall come again. All things are working together gloriously. In everything give thanks. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Move out the mockers whatever things are lovely and just and true and virtuous, think on these things and the peace of God will be with you. It's true. It's true. It's true. Move out the mockers. Don't let them camp in your heart. Move them out and watch the Lord come in and say, Talitha Kumi, and then enjoy a meal with him. It'll happen. I know. I've been there. I live there. It's true. He'll see you through. All you got to do is move out the mockers, and then let him come in and do the work that he's waiting to.